0: Sunday sermons from Trinity UMC in Lincoln, a podcast to help on the faith journey. Now onto this week's message from Pastor Jeff Slater. One of the most challenging questions around faith is the question of unanswered prayer. And I'll bet we all have a story that we could tell. We've all been in a place where we've prayed for someone who was struggling, who was suffering, perhaps a medical condition, maybe they were in trouble somehow. And we want that struggle to end. And let's be honest, even though we pray, usually the struggle doesn't end, at least not in the way that we pray for it so many times. The series we're doing right now is about doubt, and I'll give credit to Adam Hamilton and Church of the Resurrection in the Kansas City area uh, for doing a lot of the research behind this uh, series. I've made a lot of it my own, but I still like to give credit where credit is due. At the root of it all, though, is the simple idea that doubt is a good thing. So often we feel shame or guilt about our doubt, but we shouldn't, because healthy doubt saves us from false beliefs, and it also makes it so that we don't believe just because we've heard. You know, it, it means we 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 believe because we've wrestled with it, because we've struggled, because we've made it our own, and that is a good and special thing. So far uh, in this series, the uh, the other weeks have mostly been about beliefs. Does God really exist? Um, uh, we've talked about uh, we talked about heaven and other religions and what's going on there, uh, places that we often doubt. And most of it's been head kind of things. Now, the song that opens this opens each week's sermon talks about connecting our head to our heart. Right. Well, if we started with the head for most of the weeks. This is a week where, at least uh, the way I see it, we're starting from the heart by talking about unanswered prayer, by talking about the times that we've brought our deepest desires to God, and it didn't come out in the same way that we prayed. Now, I know I've done this myself. I've prayed so many times for people with struggles, whether it be uh, cancer or other diseases, and their suffering didn't go away except through death, which we believe is also a good thing uh, in the end, if not an easy thing. But all the same, it's not exactly what I prayed for, right? (laughs) I've prayed for family members and not had it come out the way that I wanted. But on the other side of things... Sometimes we see people praying for trivial things, for frivolous things, and it certainly looks like their prayers are answered. There was a story going around for a while uh, that was told by a TV preacher, Uh, and this story has been around long enough that I, I, I think it's probably true, but I don't even know which TV preacher it's about. But the story is that they were at a shopping mall, and they prayed for a parking space, got their parking space, and said, hallelujah, my prayers are answered. (laughs) Or, how about this? Have you ever prayed for a Husker football win? (laughs) How'd it come out? (laughs) Okay, not going to go there, not going to go there. (laughs) But, you do see athletes sometimes giving glory to God for their victory, and you see them praying for a victory too, and it certainly looks like God helped him, right? So what do we do with this? What do we do when we see prayers like that that at least appear to be answered? Why, why, would, why would a good God help with a sports game, or, you know, a football game, whatever, or but, but not help a woman dying from cancer? I mean, that's how it looks, but why? What is going on here? Well, this morning, I want to do three things. One, I want to take a deeper look at what Jesus says in the Gospels, because I think it's a little more nuanced than it appears on the surface. In fact, I'm quite certain it's more nuanced than it appears then, I want to give you some practical thoughts about prayer that I think may help to make your prayer deeper. And then, I want to give you a very old way to look at prayer. It's at least 1,500 years old, and I think that's the real gem of the sermon, so, 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 so don't fall asleep. Pay attention, because the best part's there right at the end. All right, I think a lot of the confusion about prayer co- comes from what Jesus said and taught about prayer. Let me give you a few examples. We heard one of them a minute ago. So Matthew 18, verse 19, Jesus says this, Again, I assure you that if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, then my Father who is in heaven will do it for you. John 15, he says this, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask for whatever you want and it will be done for you. And in Matthew 7, he says, Ask and you will receive, search and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, whoever seeks finds, and everyone who, to everyone who knocks, the door is open. Now at face value, Jesus' words just don't line up with our experience. That's just fact. At face value, Jesus' words do not line up with our experience. So how do we explain this? Some Christians try to explain it by blaming it on you. They say that you didn't have enough faith when you prayed. Or I've even heard some Christians say that you must have some unconfessed sin, and that's why God didn't answer your prayer. Let me just debunk that real fast, <laughs> because first of all, that's not that's not the heart and soul the, that we see in God in the overarching view of Scripture. But more than that, do any of you remember the story from the very first week of this of this sermon series? There was a man whose son was very ill. Uh, it kind of looks like it, the way it's the way it's written in the Bible is a, he possessed by a demon. Uh, we actually think it might be epilepsy by our modern understanding. We don't know exactly, but his son was very ill and. In a way that was scary. And when Jesus comes, what the phrase that the father says is remarkable. And in fact, it's one of the bedrocks of this whole sermon series. He says, I have faith, help my lack of faith. Or in some translations, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And Jesus heals his son. Now tell me, this man literally said, I don't believe enough and yet Jesus healed him. So whatever's going on with unanswered prayer, it's not because of you. It's not because you don't believe hard enough. We know that from watching Jesus himself. So what is going on? Well, I think the part that we usually overlook is that a lot of Jesus' teaching is in hyperbole. Now, do any of you remember your English classes and what, what hyperbole is? That's when you say something with an exaggeration to make a point or to help, to help make a truth clearer through your exaggeration. I am so hungry, I could eat a horse. Now, could I really eat a horse? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. You know, I was, at a, I was at a barbecue once where they did a whole hog. they had cooked a whole hog in a pit in the ground. Uh, until that moment, not grow, having grown up on a farm or anything, I don't think I realized just how big a hog is. Could I eat a whole hog? No. And a horse is a lot bigger than a hog. Of course I couldn't eat a whole hog. But the reason you say I'm so hungry I could eat a horse is to make the point that I'm not just normal hungry. I'm really feeling it right now. Or another, boy, it's all about food for me this morning. Another way to say it is I am starving. Now, how many of us when we say that, are really starving. No, it's hyperbole. It's an exaggeration. So Jesus taught like that in so many ways. In the Sermon on the Mount, one of his core teachings, he said, if your hand causes you to sin, you should cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, you should gouge it out. Now, if he meant that literally, his disciples should have been really nervous. <laughs> and if we thought took it literally, Well, let's just say we should have fewer eyes and fewer everything because sin is part of life, right? So clearly what Jesus meant was that this is serious. You should take sin seriously. You should go to great lengths to be the best person you can. That's what he's trying to say when he says that kind of thing. Or another time he says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Does that mean that that's impossible? Does that mean that a rich person can can never enter the kingdom of God? No, that's not what he means. But his point is that wealth can really mess you up and that wealth can really skew your values and how you look at the world. So if you have wealth, you have work ahead of you on your own heart and on your own soul. That's his point. So how about this one? Matthew 21, Jesus responded, I assure you that if you have faith and don't doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, that's earlier in the story, you will even say to this mountain, and if you've been to the Rocky Mountains, just visualize some of those boulders in the mountain, you may even say to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the lake, and it will happen. If you have faith, you will receive whatever you pray for. Now, does Jesus really mean let's go move the Rockies? No. What he's saying is that prayer is powerful, but it also takes effort. You also have to try. You also have to put some work into it. But that when you do, prayer is powerful. Now, we can back this up because there are also lots of examples of unanswered prayer in the scriptures themselves. You know, the Psalms in the middle of the Bible, they're songs, they're ancient hymns in a sense, uh, and they teach us so much about prayer. And so many of them are Psalms of lament, basically complaints about how it sure looks like God hasn't heard me. They're complaints about unanswered prayer. Um, uh, then we have Jesus himself in the garden of Gethsemane. Uh, When he's headed to the cross, he says, God, God, please don't make me do this. He says, please let this cup pass from me. And then he adds at the end, but not my will, but yours be done. But When he's on the cross, you can see that he's still wrestling with it. He's still struggling with the fact that he had to do it, that God didn't save him. And he cries out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, you, we could argue if that is technically unanswered prayer, but it feels like the same phenomenon to me. I'll tell you that. And then we have Paul uh, in, the, uh, in the epistles. Uh, there's a place in 2 Corinthians where he talks about the thorn in his flesh. Scholars have debated. Our best guess is that he was losing his sight. A macular degeneration. There's a couple clues that, may, that a few scholars believe specifically it was that. And he says, I pleaded with the Lord three times for it to leave me alone. And God said to me, my grace is enough for you because power is made perfect in weakness. And so even Paul had prayer that was unanswered. So let me give you a few practical thoughts that I think might help make your prayers more robust. Now, I have no answers for you today about unanswered prayer. You know, don't don't think I'm gonna make this all make sense. It's the kind of thing that you have to live into. What I wanna do is give you a better and healthier and more robust way to think about prayer. So let me give you, and and I'm talking specifically, by the way, about the kind of prayer where we ask, uh, intercessory prayer is the big word for it, where we ask God for things, where we bring our problems to God. I wanna give you a more robust way to look at that. So let me give you a few specific things things you can hang on to. The first one is that God usually works within the natural laws that God established. God made the world this way for a reason, and we don't understand all of the reasons. There's a little more about that in next week's sermon. I'm going to talk about natural disasters and the like, and we don't understand all of it, but we do know that God, that though God does occasionally work miracles, there are examples of things that we cannot explain Most of the time, God works within the natural laws. So, for instance, how about a prayer for no rain for a golf tournament? (laughs) Well, God's probably not going to change the weather patterns for you, not to mention the fact that the farmer in the field next to the golf course may really need that rain, right? God usually works through the natural laws. Okay. Second, God usually answers prayer through people. It's not that God never waves the magic wand, but most of the time, the answer comes through you and me. It comes through the people around us. And I think sometimes prayer is answered, but we miss it because we're looking for some ray of light from the sky or something like that, when the truth is that the answer to that prayer is already around us. The Third one is this. God will not violate others through our prayer. Maybe this comes back to the prayer for no rain for a golf tournament and the farmer in the field next door. You know, how about this one? Praying for a sports win? What about the other team? I don't think God answers prayer that would violate another. Or what about the one earlier, uh, Jesus' hyperbole about if you have enough faith, you can move a mountain? What about the people who live on that mountain? They're not going to be too happy about being dumped in the lake. Another example that I heard a while back was, God, I really need my home to sell at this price. Okay, now I'm not saying that it's wrong to pray for a house to sell, if that's something that you really need. But a better prayer might be, God, please lead someone to this house that will be blessed by it as it's blessed us. And separately, please help my finances. (laughs) Maybe they're better off as two separate prayers. Maybe that's a more faithful and robust way. And fourth, God usually doesn't deliver us from suffering, but instead walks with us through it and ultimately transforms it. Now, really, this is the topic of next week's sermon, which is going to be on what do we make of God and suffering? Uh, Why do the innocent suffer? And we can't fully explain that either. But one thing to keep in mind when we pray is that while it's not wrong to pray for God to deliver us from suffering, we saw Jesus himself do it, right? Before the cross and on it, the Psalms are full of stories like that. We also need to know, though, that the more more likely the way that God works is to walk with us through the storm, to help us to weather the storm, and then to take that suffering and transform it into something great. Okay, now, I mentioned there was going to be some gold at the end of this sermon, and this is it. It's only three words, and there are three words that I think are profound and forgotten by too many people, and they come from St. Benedict. St. Benedict was, um, um, well, you could call him the founder of monasticism. That's really, that's really a, a, a much more of a story, but uh, his, his rule that he wrote for monks and nuns to follow, so it's like a set of guidelines for them to follow, uh, is one of those works of wisdom that has guided monks and nuns for uh, more than 1,500 years by this point, and all of them consider it one of the greatest things written apart from the Bible. And one of the things he says in it is this, aura et labora. Now, he wrote in Latin, and I I wanted you to know the actual phrase. Ora kind of sounds like oral, right? So he's like speech. In this case, it means pray. Labora sounds like labor. So what it means is pray and work. And I think the key word in it is the et. It's the and. Pray and work. And his point is that these two things go together. They're part of a rhythm of life. For the monks and nuns in their daily life, it means that they spend part of the day praying, part of the day working, part of the day praying, part of the day working. The same should be true for us too. But it goes another level deeper too. Because first you pray, then you help God to get it done. Remember how I said God usually answers prayer through people? A true prayer should be prayed in the spirit of being willing to be that people. You should not let a prayer, you should not let a prayer asking for God something leave your lips unless you're willing to be the person that that prayer is answered through. In other words, don't pray for the hungry unless you also work to go feed them, unless you work to change the systems that hold them in poverty. Do you want to pray for somebody who has an illness? Well, you might not be able, you, well, you pray for them, by, by all means, pray for them, but then what are you going to do to help them? You may not be able to go to medical school and get a PhD and help find the cure for cancer, but you know, you know what you can do? You can mow their lawn. You can take them a meal. You can do something to make their journey a little bit easier. So if you pray for someone to get better, also be willing to do something to help them weather that storm. Now, sometimes it's the other way around. Maybe you find yourself walking alongside somebody who is hurting, and then you pray for them. Maybe it's not pray and work. Maybe it's work and pray. Either way, we are meant to walk alongside the people that we pray for. Now, God occasionally works miracles, and it's not wrong to pray for miracles. But more often than not, God works through people, and we have to be willing to be the person through whom God works. Now, I will admit there's a bit of a logical blip here for those of you who think very rationally. What's the point of prayer if we're just going to do it ourselves? (laughs) But let me just say that I have seen God multiply efforts so many times. Let me just say that when I have been willing to be the person through whom God answers a prayer, I have seen so much more come from my efforts. I have seen one plus one equal so much more than two. (laughs) Somehow involving God always seems to make it add up to more. But more than that, it reminds us that prayer is not just a divine vending machine. It's meant to be a relationship. When I pray, I'm involving God in my own desires. I'm bringing the pains of the world to God. And then, so long as it makes me more more willing to be involved and more willing to help my own self, prayer is also helping me reflect the light of God back into the situation. To take the world's problems to God and to take God back into the world. And it changes how I do it. After prayer, I'm not only helping the person, I'm acting as Jesus' hands and feet in the situation. With prayer added to work, I'm not just making the world a better place. I'm bringing God's kingdom into it. And with prayer, I'm not just being changed in my own heart. I'm reflecting the light of God into the most difficult situations I know. Prayer connects us and our efforts to something larger, to the very action of God in the world. So pray. Pray boldly and work. Let us pray now. Oh God, thank you for all the examples we have. In Jesus, in Paul, in the Psalms, we don't always understand why things happen the way they do. But what we do understand is the way you work through our hands when we allow it. And so God, here in this moment, we bring the world's struggles to you. Oh God, as as we pray here together, I would invite each person in this room to think of someone in their life that's struggling right now. I would invite everyone to take that person, that problem that's on their heart, and lift it up to you. And God, as we leave this place this day, after having received communion at your table, May we each go and make an effort to be your presence in that situation. We pray it in the name of the one who taught us, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's Sunday Sermon. For more information on growth groups or how to more fully embrace the life of faith, visit us at www.trinitylincoln.org.